Well, I don't know about you, but I'm um, glad, to, glad to see you and glad to be back together worshiping together. Um, I also don't know if you grew up listening to the, some of the same type of music I grew up listening to. Uh, this may date me a little bit. I'm not, I'm not old, but I'm not young either. Um, I, uh, yeah, I know, I, 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 hear, I hear that. I, I'm still fairly young. Um, I have pulled my back out, though, combing my hair, <laughs> which that was when I had hair, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not as young as I look, um, but I, I can remember a song, a uh, very catchy song. I, I got to admit, I don't really remember a whole lot of other things that they wrote. There was a song by Loverboy, uh, um, Everybody's Working for the Weekend, really catchy song. I'm not going to sing it. You know it. Uh, and it kind of captured some of the, the, the angst of how we lived and we worked. Um, everybody couldn't wait till Friday afternoon uh, got there so that we could have a break. Now, I, I don't know if that's the best way necessarily of living and thinking about, I just live for the weekend, I live to play. But I do think that it, it kind of captures something that we're inclined to, which is the question of when is my toil going to be over? When is, when is the work, when is the labor going to be done? Because we do live in a, in a fallen world where our work is much harder than it would have been had there not been a fall. You can see that in Genesis uh, 3 and how the labor and the toil that we go through is more difficult than it would have been apart from sin. And so last week we looked at the Sabbath commandment in uh, Deuteronomy 5, and I didn't finish it. And we're going to revisit it and look at the final two points that I looked at. But if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to stand as we consider Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a warning. We're not going to read it just a second. But after we read Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, uh, you can kind of pay attention a little bit there if you'd like. But I would encourage you to go ahead, if you have your Bible, to flip over to Hebrews 3. We are going to have it on the screen later, but we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at Hebrews 3. And so we're going to read that here in maybe 10 minutes or so and uh, look at how uh, the Sabbath command actually is pointing to something uh, even greater that we're all anticipating. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, this is God's word to us this morning. It says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, uh, not do any work, neither you nor your sons or your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Maybe seated as I go to the Lord and ask our blessing, his blessing upon this time. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, grant us to see and hear your voice. Lord, your word promises that your word never returns void. So I pray that it would not return void this morning in the lives of believers and unbelievers here, Lord. Call the dead to life. Refresh and encourage, revive those that are weary and heavy laden. Lord, we love you. Bless this time. Guard me from error. Feed your people. In Jesus' holy name, 
Amen. All right, so I want to quickly recap a little bit from last week. Last week, one of the things that I told you is that by jumping back into Deuteronomy, one of the things that we needed to be aware of is the fact is that the context of all these commands is one of redemption. And so one of the potential obstacles whenever we're studying something like the commands of God's word is to think that commands equal how we uh, are inter- how we become a part of God's family. That's not, that's not true. We do not earn our way into God's family. We become a part of God's family by his grace through the adoption that we receive in Jesus. It's all of his mercy. It's all of his grace that we belong to him. Commands structure how we live as his children, not how we become his children. And that's important for us to remember because many people think, well, I have to do this in order to belong, which that's not the way that God's grace works. We do these things because we already belong. And how do we belong? By virtue of his grace and his mercy. Deuteronomy 5, uh, earlier in the passage, actually reinforces this thought because it begins by saying, the, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of Egypt. So he didn't say, hey, in order for you to be my children, do these things, then I'll deliver you. He said, no, I delivered you and because you are mine and I put my seal upon you and you belong to me, this is how I expect my people to live and, and act. So, All that we're looking at is in this context that we belong to God by his grace. In addition to this reminder last week, we looked at the fourth commandment and we saw essentially two points of application. The two points of application were, uh, one is that God calls us to work hard for the six days that he's given us to work. Then the second command was that he commands us to rest. We were not made for endless work, labor, and toil. Uh, So he commands us in this pattern. Work the days I've given you, rest the day I've given you. To recognize that God is ultimately the one in control. The Sabbath was not intended to be some sort of burden on the people of God. It was a blessing that provided space in their week for rest, worship, and reflection upon God's work as their God and as his people. It was a regular reminder of redemption. So that brings us now to the question of what else does this passage mean for us? What are some of the other implications? So I'm going to give us, we're going to spend the week, not the week, although it could feel like that before it's over. You may have felt that way last week. Uh, They were like, man, don't let him go on vacation anymore because when he does, he comes back and preaches like like he's got to make up for it. It's like, well, sorry, I missed missed (laughs) y'all. But we have two points of application I want to look at here. But the second point of application, which would have been the last point of application from last week's sermon, is going to be a more fuller development of this idea of what the Sabbath command means within biblical theological history, looking at it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So the first implication of this passage for today is this. God calls us to reflect his character in our work and rest. So in both instances in which the Sabbath commandment is given in the Old Testament, the people are told to keep or observe the Sabbath in order to reflect the action of God. At one point, it is to reflect God's pattern of work and rest as revealed in creation. So this is what you find in Exodus 20. Exodus 20 says, observe or keep the Sabbath. Why? Because you're God. He worked six days, created the world, and rested on the seventh, one of reflection, not exhaustion. He never gets tired. He wasn't like, oh, man, it's been a tough week. I need need the day off. It was one of resting, reflecting, 
enjoying, declaring over it. This is very, very good. At another point, though, when we see the command, not only are we to rest because he rested and work because he worked, we are also to provide rest to others as God has provided rest to us. In both cases, through our rhythms of work and creation with rest, in the way that we relate to others, we are reflecting God's character. So in Deuteronomy 5, what we're told to do is, is do these things so that all the people that you have kind of authority over, they can rest as you do. So I talked about this a little bit last week. The Israelites were delivered from slavery from Egypt. And what God wanted to prevent was them taking on the character of the Egyptians. What would it have looked like for them to take on the character of the Egyptians? Had they been delivered and then become an oppressor themselves, they'd have been just like the wicked people that they were delivered from. So God says, that is not how you're going to be allowed to work. I have delivered you from oppression, not so that you can oppress others, but that you can grant others the type of rest that I am granting you. Now, what type of application does this have for us? Quite a bit, actually. Let me ask a few questions to probe how this might enter into our lives. Do you have the responsibility of managing other people? At work, school, In those relationships, how are you reflecting the character of God to those who work under you? Are you a harsh manager? Do you want mercy from God, but you refuse to show it to others? Now, let, let me go ahead and immediately say that I recognize that some of you are saying, yeah, but that's the expectation. I have to be hard because that's the expectation that my superior has. If, if, I, if I don't get my bluff in, if I'm not difficult, if I'm not, you know, I can't be friends with people. I can't be, I can't be merciful. If I show mercy to someone, everyone's going to take advantage of that. Okay, I hear you just for a second, but let me, let me remind you of something. Your boss is not as important as God, okay? So quite frankly, the idea that, well, I have to obey my boss. I can't, I can't, I can't, I, but if I don't know, if I don't act the way my boss expects me to act, if I'm not merciless, well, you're going to give an account one day before God, not your boss, There are worse things in this world than being fired. It's standing before the Lord one day saying, yeah, but I sinned against you because my boss is a harsh man or harsh woman. Now, I'm not suggesting you need to go disobey your boss because like I said, if you're a Christian, you ought to be doing the best work it's available in your office. I said, if you've got the Christian fish on your business card, you better be the best one at it. You got the Christian fish on the back of your car, you better drive well. Some of you may have walked out to the parking lot last week and took the Christian fish off of your car, you know? 
If, if, if you go eat after service today and you tell somebody, your, wait, your waiter, your waitress, I've been at church this morning and you treat them harshly and don't tip them well, please don't tell them that you went to church. Or if you do, tell them that you went to a cult or something. You know? Like, don't tell them, oh yeah, I remember at Copperfield and, and, uh, and you got my drink order wrong twice. And so, do you want mercy? Yes, I want mercy. Then people that want mercy will extend mercy. And so, you can see this, actually, Jesus tells an example of this. He tells a parable. And this is in my notes from last week, so if you want to look them up online, you can do so. One of the things that Jesus talks about in this parable is how he had a man that had been forgiven much, and he was relieved to be forgiven, and then he went and found someone that owed a fraction of what he owed. And yet the person that, he, the person that owed him so little, he treated harshly and threw in jail, and then the master found out about it, and he threw him in jail. He threw the person that wanted mercy for himself but wouldn't extend mercy to someone else into jail. The way that the Sabbath command informs the way that we treat others is in the fact that when we supervise people, we ought to be the type of person that extends mercy to them just as we want to be extended mercy. There is a way to be a Christian. There's a way to be faithful to Jesus in our jobs. Sometimes you might be at a company that just doesn't value those things. And you go, but I get paid a lot. Wood, hay, and stubble, brothers and sisters. Do not stay in a profession, stay in a position that causes you, forces you, that the job description for you is to violate God's word. I have to be a hateful, harsh person. No, you don't. You do not have to be that. You have been a person that has received God's grace, received God's mercy, and you ought to reflect that in the way that you treat others. What about your relationship to your spouse? Do your expectations of them have room for rest? Do you ever make your spouse feel like they never measure up? Like they never work hard enough? Or like they ought to always be working? Like their work is not as valuable as your work? Does your spouse know that you love them more than you love your work? Are we reflecting these values in our relationships? What about your children? Do your children have time to rest or are you constantly pushing them in one direction or another? Let me be real transparent this morning then, okay? I do not like being transparent. I just don't. And I really don't want to tell you this story because it reflects bad on me. And look, if, if you're here looking for, for a pastor that's always got it together uh, and you're looking for someone that, that has the perfect home life and is a perfect parent, just wait till the break and then leave because... <laughs> This is not, not the place for you, and I can assure you that that's going to be clear here in a second. So we got here to Houston, and we love Houston. Absolutely love Houston. Absolutely love Copperfield. And my sons are very competitive, very competitive. And we wanted to play competitive sports here. 
And so uh, we started looking, and we did some of the kind of the things in the neighborhood, and they just, the boys didn't like it, really wasn't real organized. So um, we started looking into some options that were available to us, and one of the options was um, baseball that was kind of like a travel ball type thing. The nice thing about Houston is you don't have to travel because everybody travels to Houston. So we're like, okay, this is great. We're not going to have to be gone a lot for this type of thing. So there were some communications with coaches and things like that. And I've got one kid that is a strong, uh, pretty big lefty. You know, just the type of thing a coach salivates over. It's like he throws hard. He's, he's gritty. And so the coach said, hey, look, if you start getting him some lessons, I could really, really see him improve. And so we're like, okay, well, let's get lessons. And so what we started doing is we'd have a batting lesson. And then after a batting lesson, we would have a pitching lesson. And then after pitching lesson, we would go and we'd practice for two and a half hours in the evening. And they would throw and they would throw and they would throw and they would throw. And my son started coming back and saying, dad, my arm is sore. And so what did I do as a loving, understanding father? I said, suck it up. I said, your arm's not injured. And he was like, <sighs> so we kept doing it. And then I started noticing whenever he was fielding, his arm slot was changing, and he was changing his arm slot because his arm was hurting him. And I said, okay, look, just make it through the season. Made it through the season. Went to an orthopedic surgeon. Took the x-ray. And he goes, oh, wow. He goes, this is, this is an excellent example. Comes back into the room, just like biggest smile on his face. If you're an orthopedic surgeon, man, y'all are interesting. <laughs> Comes back in. He's like, throws up the x-ray. He's like, I'm going to use this in my lecture next week at the medical center. (laughs) And it wasn't going to be because this is a perfectly healthy youth shoulder. He says, this is a classic example of little league arm. Well, it's like, how do you get that? Overuse without rest. Now, here was the mercy that God provided in that. The way that you rehab little league shoulder... Rest. God didn't make that arm to throw four hours a day. He has no permanent damage, so put your cell phones down. (laughs) But one of the things I recognized is that even as a parent in your drive and you think, I really want this for my child, sometimes the fact is, is we really want it for ourselves. But we can begin to believe the lie. If my kid is not constantly doing homework, constantly doing athletics, constantly doing fill in the blank, they're going to get behind and they're never going to catch up. And then all of our dreams, they're never going to be a Houston Astro, which they're not going to be. Okay? They're not going to play for the Texans, although right now some of our kids probably could. (laughs) The the point being is, is God made us to rest and provide rest for others. And if we don't rest, he will make us rest. So 
I'm not going to ask you to go around and tell me your stories because I've been transparent and I feel bad. But I think about the fact that even as a parent, I violated this command whenever I wanted rest. Because you know what I would have done if my back would have been sore? I wouldn't have done housework. I would have done all these things. I would have been like, hey, I'm sore. But I had this expectation, son, you need to fight through it instead of rest. Now, the flip side of it is every time after practice, I'm always asking, hey, how's your arm feeling? They're like, dad. I'm like, look. I'm not going through that again. But do we give our children rest? Are they allowed to be children? Do we encourage them to rest in the Lord? Do we encourage them to trust that he will take care of them? Do they know that they are more important to us than our careers and our own aspirations and dreams for them? God calls us to reflect his character in our work and our rest. And so we work hard and we rest and then we ask others and we encourage others to such rest and work with a balance. Okay. Moving on to the second point, which is going to have us spending a significant time in Hebrews chapter 3. The second point is that not only does God call us to reflect his character in our work and rest, but God has provided everlasting rest for his people. The Sabbath command ultimately points us to the redemption that we possess in Jesus Christ. When Jesus calls the rest, Jesus calls the people to rest from their labors in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through thirty. It is important that we see that He does not call the people to an observance of a particular day during the week, but to Himself. He says, "All who are weary and are heavy laden." need to come to Jesus for rest. In Jesus, God has provided us with something greater than one day a week to rest from our labors. So even when we rightly set aside a day, and I'm not suggesting you don't need to do that, I'm saying set aside a day each week for rest and worship. We must realize that this is ultimately serving the purpose of granting us a foretaste of heavenly rest. A rhythm of weekly work and rest ought to remind us that a greater, fuller rest is coming. One Hebrew scholar says that their weekly Sabbath, their weekly rest to them, is a foretaste of heaven on earth. I love that. You, you want a foretaste of heaven on, work, on earth? It's the permission that says, rest. Rest from your labors because I have done the work that you need. The author of Hebrews makes this point. Very well. So if you have your Bibles, you don't have to stand again. If you have your Bibles, look with me at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It's a long section. I'm going to read all of it, and then we're going to look at it for the remainder of our time together. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 4, 13. Verse 7 says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was mad with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As he just said, or as he, as has just been said, today... 
If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not those that Moses led out of Egypt? And those that were angry with those whom he was angry with for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have entered that rest, just as God said, so I declared on earth oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For someone has spoken about the fourth, I mean, about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So I'm, I'm highlighting this idea that the Sabbath command points to the fact that God has provided everlasting rest for his people, a rest to be entered into by faith. I can't teach everything in Hebrews 3 and 4 this morning, but I want to give you just a basic idea of what's happening here. In these chapters, we encounter a warning from the author of Hebrews about the danger of drifting away, and that's a lot of what's happening in the book of Hebrews, is people have a temptation to coast, to meander through life, not to strive to enter in, not to strive to do the work that God has called them to do, but rather to drift away, which is our natural bent. No one here, as a man by the name of D.A. Carson uh, wrote, no one here drifts toward holiness. You don't wake up one morning holier than you were the day before. We drift toward unholiness, unrighteousness. That's our bent. That's what we are inclined to in our flesh, but it's not what we were made for as children of God. And so God uses these prophetic warnings, and he's using it in Hebrews, drawing upon the prophetic testimony of David from Psalm 95, which is telling the story 
of the people's rebellion at Meribah. To recap Meribah, which you can find in Exodus 17, 1 through 7, this is when the people were about 20 days removed from the most miraculous deliverance people had ever seen in their lives. They are 20 days removed from walking through a, a sea on dry land, 20 days, and they get to Meribah and they go, I guess we're just going to die of dehydration now. Thanks, God. And so Moses says, look, God can bring water out of a rock. And so he strikes the rock and they, they receive water. But it's a reminder that the people are prone to unbelief, even when 20 days before. 20 days! I don't think we're following that. You think it's easy for us to drift? 20 days before they had seen what history has continued to tell over and over and over again. And they were like, yeah, I don't think he, we're going to die out here. And so the author of Hebrews is warning them through the testimony of David in Psalm 95 saying, today, if you hear God's voice, don't be like the people that doubted what they heard. Believe him, trust him, obey him. Don't act like the generation in the wilderness that did not enter rest. Why? Why did they not enter rest? Because of their unbelief. Unbelief in what? That God would take care of them. Every turn, God's not going to take care of us this time. Oh, he took care of us. Well, I guess next time he's not going to take care of us. And then the next time, I guess he's not going to take care of us this time. So eventually, even Moses would bear the penalty of the people. And so the author of Hebrews says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our conviction firmly to the very end. The author of Hebrews is exhorting them, take care to receive and hear God's word. Exhort one another every day, encouraging each other to believe and trust in the word. And so I just, just want to ask this morning, is this real to you? Do you take God's word seriously when he promises you He's going to take care of you. Do you have people in your life that will hold you accountable whenever you're talking foolishness in the best sense of the word? Foolishness is the, is the root of atheism. And, and a lot of us in this room would probably go, I'm not an atheist. But anytime that you doubt that God is able to do what he's, what he's said he's done and what he's, what he's promised to do, you're just functioning like an atheist. It doesn't matter that you believe that he exists if you don't actually believe that he can do what he says he's going to do. Not really believing and trusting who he says that he is. So the author of Hebrews is saying, do you have people in your life that tells you to take the word of God serious, to receive it, that you might hold on, that you might persevere, that you might endure to the end? For we are at risk of falling into unbelief, and in unbelief as it grows, our hearts are hardened, and as our hearts are hardened, we drift away from God. And as 1 John chapter 2, 9 says, if we drift away from God and it's found that we were never truly his children to begin with. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, then they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they were not of us at all. This means that how we live after we've made an initial profession of faith that we put our trust in Jesus Christ, tells a lot about our faith. Do we endure? Do we press on? Do we continue to work? Do we bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Jesus makes these same types of comments when he talks about the parable of the sower. You have seed that falls on rocky ground and dry ground, and what happens? It springs up for a season, and then it what? It dies out. 
Because it can take root. Something plucks the seed away. But what does Jesus say? It's the one that bears fruit, 20 and 40 and 60 and 80 and 100 fold, that is receiving the word as it has been sown by Christ himself. So what the author of Hebrews is concerned about is have you received the word and are you enduring with the word, trusting the word, pressing on that the gospel that you've received is the gospel that you are trusting at all times to save you? To endure the end is not to go, I'm just going to strive by my own strength. But it's to recognize in my own strength I can't make it, but that each day, day after day after day after day, he's sufficient, he is able, he is caring for me, he is faithful to complete the work that he began in me. Does God not finish the works that he promises to bring to completion? Of course not. May we never believe that. Philippians 1 says is faithful to complete the work that he began in you. You go, well, what am I supposed to do about that? Philippians also goes on to tell us that while he is at work to willing to do his good pleasure, that we also ought to work hard to make our calling and our election sure, that we would press on in the Lord and that we would discern whether we are truly in the faith. So this Sabbath command points us to the fact there's coming a day when we will rest. But there is a time now while we work, hoping, longing, believing to enter in. Looking forward to the day when we fully enter into the rest that God has prepared for us. The promised rest. Some said, well, Joshua provided that for the people. No, we didn't. Even the promised land was pointing to the fact that there was another promised land that was coming, a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. It would one day descend and envelop all this creation. And God would reign and be with his people in that regard. So what we need based upon what we find in passages like Hebrews 3 and 4 because we need our perspective changed. If we were passionate about entering God's rest into his eternal Sabbath, then we would take care to obey and receive his word. We need our minds reoriented around these great realities because we are so distracted by so many things. We are distracted by the rest of the world, by the leisure of the world, by the trinkets of the world. We are distracted by Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Snapchat and the games on our phones and how much easier it is for us to turn our TV on and watch the news and watch our favorite shows on Netflix or Hulu or Peacock or a million other streaming services that are in your pocket at all times. It's easier to pick up a novel, or look at your favorite historian, or find uh, an app that lets you keep up with the stock market, or find a new gadget or a new tool that you really, really need. All of these things are easier to do than hearing and receiving the word of God that we might not disobey and have hardened hearts. But we ought to hear his word. This is not about whether or not you, you like reading or not. This is about hearing God 
who's calling us to strive to enter his rest. How do you enter his rest? It's not by our work, but it's by faith, hope, trust in him that he has provided what we so desperately need. It is not a rest that we enter into by our own effort. Have you heard his word? Are you desiring to enter the rest that he provides? Then the author of Hebrews would tell you this morning, then strive to enter his rest by taking care to believe his word. Because we who have believed have entered his rest. This is a principle that Paul actually mentioned a few weeks ago. I think it's important for us to keep in mind. It's this idea of the already not yet. We have already by faith entered into the rest that is ours in Christ. And that we are also looking forward to the day when we will fully enter into it. There is a sense in which we are seated in the heavenly places even now. And then there is coming a time when we will actually be seated in the heavenly places. It is the fact that we already right now have new creation life. But one day this body, one day this neck that gets pulled from brushing hair is one day not going to get pulled like that anymore and we're not going to attend funerals anymore. Why? Because the new creation is going to envelop and overcome and, and renew all things. That's what Jesus says. I, behold, I go to make all things new. And we will enter into a rest in a land no longer plagued by sin. So what this means for our passage in Deuteronomy 5 12 through 15, is that while we enjoy rest in part now by faith, and we should enjoy rest on a weekly basis by setting aside a day, ultimately, all these observances are pointing to the fullness of rest that's coming in Christ. We ought to rest longing for the day when one day, imagine this, one day Jesus is going to greet you You ever put this together? One day he is going to greet you if you are a believer, if you have trusted him, and what is he going to say to you? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest, which was prepared before the foundation of the war for you. So what do we do before we enter? As servants, we work, we enjoy peace and rest in our hearts by faith now, but there is a day when wounded hands and head and feet are going to extend to us and say, come on in. The rest that I've prepared for you is here. How do you enter that rest? It is not going to be by saying, look at my resume, Lord. We enter that rest by faith. That you did what I needed done. You received the punishment that my sin received. And that my only claim on that rest is that I am your child by your grace. And he will say, come on in. Come on in. Enjoy the rest that was made for you. Thus, we work and rest in this life Six days do we labor, one day we rest, with a greater expectation of the day 
when we will fully enter rest that is ours in Christ. Therefore, we strive to enter that rest by faith. And I conclude by asking, are you sure that you will enter that rest? If you are hoping in your performance to enter that rest, you will never enter that rest. If you do not repent of your unbelief and your disobedience, you will never enter that rest. How do you enter that rest? By belief in the Son of God. The true Joshua that brings the people into the promised land forever. Have you received him? Did you pray with me this morning? So our prayer leaders are able to make their way to the front. This is a time for you to reflect upon uh, the truths in God's word. It's for you to reflect upon needs that you have in your own life. It's a time of you, for you to reflect upon uh, your own need to put your trust in Christ. If you have a prayer need regarding anything, these leaders are up front and are willing to pray with you during our closing song. But I would also encourage you that if where you're sitting right, just sitting right now, you're wrestling with this. You're like, I want to enter rest. I want to know that I can answer Jesus' call to come to him. I want to know that one day I will see his face and he will say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm begging you not to put your trust in yourself. Not put your trust in your parents. Not put your trust in anything else, but to put your trust completely in Jesus. What does that look like? It means trusting that he has paid the penalty of your sin and that he has earned for you the righteousness that you need to be able to enter into his rest. And that the only thing he requires is for you to bring your need for him and that you would put your trust wholly in Jesus. If that's true for you today, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You say, how do I call upon the name of the Lord? You can pray as simply as the tax collector did in the gospel. You can say, Lord Jesus, oh God, Have mercy upon me. I know I'm a sinner. He is faithful and just to receive those that call upon him. He will by no means turn you away. If that is true for you, we would invite you to pray with one of our prayer leaders up front. If you're not comfortable with that, you can text the word pray to the number that you find on the screen. We would love to be able to follow up with you and help you as you call upon the name of the Lord and follow Jesus as a disciple. Father God, I ask that you would move, that you would have your way in this place today, that your spirit would attend our closing time of worship, Lord, and that you would draw our hearts near to you. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.